Hello, everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode of With All Losses. I am your one and only host, as always, Gabe Warren. And with every episode, I, along with the special guests, will be celebrating and awarding our favorite films of each year, starting in 1928. We'll discuss our brief thoughts on each film we nominate and comment on the actual Oscar year and some fun details on the ceremony. A few of the rules we always follow will be strictly following the reminder list of multiple releases. Those can be found on the website and the Oscar goes too. Uh, the amount of categories will also grow over time as a sort of tie into the Academy's evolution over time. And we're going to do something a bit different today. This is going to be a bonus, a Christmas bonus episode. And today we're going to be talking about Kenneth Branagh's 1996 adaptation of William Shakespeare's seminal play Hamlet. And joining me to discuss this film, once again, welcome back, Jackson Stefano. Hello, I am pleased to be back. And I'm glad we have a good movie to talk about this time. Yes, yes, a great one. A great one, one of my favorite movies of all time. Same here. So, I guess I should specify why I chose this film of all to present Christmas this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because when I you guess first it's just a film it, I associate. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say when you first invited it, me, I was curious as to why this for a Christmas episode? Because like I, I never really associated with Christmas. Like it, it does snow during it, but I, it's just like. I, I don't. I'm not even sure if it takes place in like December at all. So I've been curious. I guess it was just sort of uh, um, spicing things up because I just associated it with winter, and it just seemed like an interesting opportunity to talk about this film. Well, all right. That, that's as good as reason, and you just want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just going into it, <sighs> sorry, I just don't know where to start because there's a, just a lot to unpack here. This is obviously like a completely unabridged adaptation mm-hmm. of the text. So let, Do you let's think just that start choice that? worked? I I do think it worked. Uh, I so like I feel like it is just generally a bad idea to like just take a play and just put it directly onto the screen like no changes because like they are like like the stage and screen are inherently two different mediums. It's like, but somehow somehow Kenneth Branagh was able to take this this massive text just put it directly onto the screen with no textual changes and still not only just make it work but just make it like one of the best Shakespeare adaptations if not the best Shakespeare adaptation I personally have ever seen I know like there's some people who do who do think it was it's kind of bad that the lack of changes makes it very long and boring but I just I'm so in love with it. I think that's all due to uh, Kenneth Branagh's like direction and also the actors. The actors were all fantastic, but yeah, mainly just like Kenneth Branagh just completely 
helming this. Like he he is the director, he is the producer. He got an Oscar nomination for adapted screenplay, even though he didn't really adapt it at all. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but yeah, I just I just really love it. Yeah. Um, this is, I believe, this is longer than some than something like Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. It's over four hours. I believe also, yeah, over four hours. I believe that film also had like a super unwieldy, unbelievably dense uh, source material, mm-hmm. or you understand why it's that long. Mm-hmm. I think it works because. It understands like its roots in stage and doesn't necessarily try to completely abandon them so much as make it suitable for mm-hmm. this new medium. Yeah. Like, like one scene. Oh, you go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just like, yeah, uh, Kenneth Brana, like he understands like how it works in stage and he understands the film medium very well or at least he did at this time uh but it's like he like the main thing that separates uh, uh the stage from the screen is one like cinematography like the different angles and two editing it's like you can really like the cuts and stuff and so Kenneth Brana is made is able to you to make those things work with something that was written long before either of those things were even an idea. Uh, and it's just, it, it's somewhat magical just how this is able to come together. It's like, I don't know how Kenneth Branagh did it, but he just did. Yeah. It is, it does definitely feel in line with a lot of historical epics that you could point to, like, this definitely feels like, like, one comparison I made to you in my review is, like, David Lean, his epics. Mm-hmm. And I feel like whenever I analyzed Alex Thompson's cinematography, like, I could see parallels with what Freddie did, no, what Freddie Young did in, um, in Lawrence of Arabia, just the use of wide sweeping shots mm-hmm. and the close-ups on the main actor's face and the blues, like in the wintry nights, mm-hmm. are yeah. just and, stunning. And it's like Hamlet was like one of the last films to be made in or to be shot on like seventy millimeter, like the biggest widest film that was available at the time at least he's until the recent like revival of it with like quentin tarantino and uh christopher nolan the master yeah uh and it's just like uh and it he kind of really does make use of it and like the film is just so big like all these sets and the landscapes they're all just so massive and gorgeous and it really it really makes you feel like this deserves to be like this epic, like the, like that's another thing that really like cements is just how it makes it look so big and feels so big and like it earns the right to hold your attention for four hours. Absolutely, it does, and 
one of the smart decisions that is made in this movie is like the setting like ostensibly ostensibly it's set during like it's modeling itself after like the victorian era 19th century but it's not too specific to that era it just takes the overall design such as like the costumes and the overall look of the palace Mm-hmm. And I think that is a really good way to update the play for a more modern film like this one, and giving it its own unique identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like th- there is nothing like this adaptation. There is nothing to really compare it to. Like even other. Shakespeare adaptations they just don't have that same scale they don't have that same just like epicness to it it's just like they uh, actually a lot of like Shakespeare adaptations really try to like parse it down to tone it down to like like just make it hit a lot more intimate but Kenneth Branagh just goes complete opposite direction makes it as big as he fucking could Yeah, definitely. And I really like the way the movie opens up. This definitely doesn't waste its time with its beginning, even though it's Mm -hmm. very long, as we just said. Like, we open with the guards at the beginning, and soon it parlays into, like, the... Is it the marriage between um, Claudius and Ger- uh, and Gertrude? I I think I'm not sure if it's like their wedding, but it is like it's early. I actually, yeah, I think it is their wedding. I I'm looking at the poster. It's just like I think that is a wedding gown. Uh, but yeah, it's just like yeah. how quickly after the death of uh, Hamlet's dad, I forgot his name. Uh, <laughs> that juicy <laughs> like take. Um, the dead dad's wife or his own and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like this, with... like even though this is four hours long, it does move very quickly. Like he does, like Kenneth Brown just keeps like, just tries to keep the whole thing moving. And like, that's why it works. He, he doesn't let you feel that length, or at least for me, I know other people like feel like it's an endless slog, but I, it, the editing just like keeps it so quick for me. He, and although it does like let it self slow down when it needs to, like the uh, the famous to be to not to be or not to be seen, like that is a very a slow and pensive scene. It's like it's just Kenneth Branagh delivering a monologue by himself, and there's very little uh, cuts in it. It's just letting you be in in this specific moment, and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Like, that wedding scene between Claudius and Gertrude does a good job in establishing uh, why Claudius is the main villain of this play. Like, it it does such a good job establishing his personality. Like, this opportunistic, greedy man. Mm-hmm. And that the tracking shot where everyone is exiting the um 
exiting the room. Uh, as the flowers it. fall down. Yeah. So beautiful. Like, and that score mm -hmm. is also wonderful. And that shot, or it's just drawn on his Hamlet in in all black, in a room full of white and red. Again, it, it's yeah, another beautifully composed shot. And I guess we could talk about Bronog's performance because he really does not like pull punches with his performance. It oh, is like yes. big, almost yeah, manic. I adore his performance in this. Like, a lot of people view Hamlet as like very serious and and just very broody. And while Kenneth Branagh is that at points, uh, for the most part, Hamlet is a fucking insane man, like absolutely fucking crazy. And that is how it should be. That's how it is in the text. But people just feel like, oh, it's Shakespeare. It It's supposed to be serious. But that's just not how it is, not how it should be. And Kenneth Branagh understands that and gives us just this absolutely so, such a fun performance, really. And you would, a normal person wouldn't expect the, that kind of words from like Hamlet, but it is. It's such a fun performance. And God, I, I just love this movie. It's so fucking good. Kenneth Branagh is just fucking great in it. Yeah, he really is. And I don't remember the specific name of the speech, but that final speech he gives, like, as the camera, um, like, moves away from him, and he's just on a snowy hilltop. And you can see all the mountains in the distance. And that's like a perfect, it's it's the monologue of actors' dreams day. Right before the intermission. Mm. And it's a perfect like way to close off before we pick back up. Mm -hmm. it, it's his, uh, as God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is definitely a great way to describe that scene. And and I think the other actors do a great job as well. Just like Kate Winslet as Ophelia. Also, um, she starts out just very much prim and proper, but becomes increasingly unhinged as the movie goes on. Yeah, it it's a really great version of Ophelia, I think. It's probably one like I I just love this whole movie, but yeah, it really does a great job with the Ophelia character. Uh, I, I don't really have the words to put it into, but God, Kate, Kate Winslow's performance, first of all, and just showing that entire gradual uh, descent into insanity before she find she winds up at the bottom of a lake or river or whatever. Uh, 
it's really just it's kind of it's pretty heartbreaking just watching everything fall down for her it definitely is and i think she does an especially good job at tracking the unraveling of her character and her passion for Hamlet <laughs> and how their doomed would-be romance fits in line with where her character ends up. How at one point she ends up in like this almost asylum or I think insanity. Mm-hmm. And it is very heartbreaking. Yeah, definitely. And then other actors like um, Derek Jacoby as Claudius. He <laughs> he does play up the pompous, the pomp and circumstance of Claudius. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, doesn't make it like too cheap of a performance he's just a really fun like foil for Hamlet and also tapping into like the rivalry he had with his father and just he's just so great and Julie Christie is also great as Gertrude Gertrude I don't know how to say that um And yeah, it's almost hard to put into words because the acting all around just yeah it plays it, into this essence of Shakespeare. It, it's really insane, just like how stacked this cast is. Like it, you in the major roles, you've got like Julie Christie and Kate Winslet, but then it's just like the there is so many just great actors of the stage and screen you've got in here and in just the most minor roles too like you've got robin williams rod Depardieu, uh jack lemon billy crystal billy crystal charlton heston as the player king and then you've got like john gilgood and judy dench in roles without dialogue that are that are just flashbacks during a speech by charlton heston and it's just it's just insane how many people are in this. It is. And like, it is kind of fun to see them all like, it's just fun to see them all showing up. Mm-hmm. Like whenever they're called on. Yeah, it's just like playing a little just game like Where's additions. Waldo and stuff. It's like, yeah. oh, where, where, where do I knew them from? It's just like, yeah. And then Yeah, I I also like the fact that this is completely unabridged because um because it doesn't remove certain plot points that actually turn out to be crucial to the larger point in narrative mm-hmm. or just add a layer to this play like 
Rosencrantz and Guildenstern mm-hmm. that have been cut out from certain Hamlet adaptations. Yeah, but... but yeah, like the Olivier adaptation, if I remember correctly, it just com- completely cuts out those two, and like other adaptations, just make them like so extremely minor, like it's blink and you miss them with them. But yeah, they are like such important characters into like learning about like uh, Hamlet and stuff. Uh, and it's just, it, it's a shame to cut them, but it's also like when you've got uh, what's, what is apparently four hours of a play, it's just like for most movies, you feel the need, you need to cut things, but you, sh- you really can't if you want the whole understanding of the play but it's also like most movies don't have the time and money to have four hours of shakespeare yeah and so um thinking about the scene where uh uh, King Hamlet's ghost. Um, I think it's King Hamlet's ghost that comes to speak to uh, Prince Hamlet. Or he reveals uh, King Claudius's betrayal of him. Mm-hmm. Or he was like laying like in a chair of sorts in the snow. Yeah. Like in a blanket. Yeah, Hamlet's father, is... he was like laying down and then Claudius poisons <laughs> his ear. Or whatever. Yeah, like spills poison into his ear. Do you think that scene was executed well? Well, yeah, I, I think everything was executed well in this. It's a, yeah. it's a pretty, in my opinion, I think it's like a near perfect movie, if not like just a perfect movie. I I don't have yeah. thoughts on like every single scene in this movie. I just think the whole thing yeah. is just great. But it is a pretty brutal murder <laughs> just to see him like clearly like writhing in pain before he drops dead and claw and the look on Dirk Jacoby's face where he looks kind of horrified but at the same time he did this for a reason. Claudius did this because he's a jackass who wants to usurp his brother's throne. <laughs> yeah. And also, it's just very horny for his wife, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just... I would say this, almost, this is pretty sensual at times for a Shakespeare adaptation. Mm-hmm. But I guess... The Shakespeare adaptations uh, are they known for being like sensual at all? Uh, well, I get if you were to ask like the common like person, like a person who like doesn't know too much about Shakespeare, I wouldn't think they'd describe it as sensual. But I've I've seen quite a few Shakespeare adaptations, and it's just like there is a lot of sex in them, like like. Both, both in the tragedies and the comedies and the histories, it's just there. There's a lot of fucking going on, uh, and it's just like maybe, maybe not like, like erotic, but like there is sex happening. 
like uh actually that makes me think of uh the what was it mel gibson's adaptation from 1990 i watched this movie i watched that movie once in high school or middle school actually and there was a scene i don't think they were actually having sex but there was a scene where like i think hamlet was like attacking uh his mom i who was played by glenn close if i remember correctly and it's just like it really seems like they're fucking and it's just very weird and everybody in my class was just like what is going on and we didn't understand what was going on why we were watching this in school (laughs) but it was it was wild it was fun that's such a bad movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't have any plans to see it eventually i will see it to um, eventually, I probably will see it just because it was nominated for Oscars, but mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, I guess I wanted to ask, uh, like, how familiar are you with Shakespeare and this play in particular? Like, what is your history of like learning about Shakespeare and such? Uh, well, Shakespeare in general, I feel like I have kind of the same experience as most people. Like, I had to read some of those plays in school. Uh, I remember specific. I've read I've read Hamlet before in school. I've read a bunch of Shakespeare. Everybody, I feel like, has been forced to read Shakespeare in school. And I've actually performed uh, in high school. I did a Taming of the Shrew. I was in that. Uh, there's another Shakespeare. Oh, Twelfth Night I was also in. Uh, just minor characters and this was a small school too so it's not like a big thing that was in place um and then i i've seen i've seen a bunch of shakespeare adaptations of just a bunch of different plays including like most of kenneth Branagh's adaptations i've seen henry v i've seen uh much ado about nothing uh what's the other ones i haven't seen his last two. I haven't seen Love Labor's Lost or As You Like It yet, but if, but those are the ones that people don't really care about, so who really cares? Anyway, uh, but yeah, with Hamlet specifically, I it's just it's just one of those stories that everyone kind of already knows. It's like everybody knows about the the sad prince who whose dad was killed by his uncle, and he's just like he's very sad about it. And there's like, get thee to a nunnery and to be or not to be. And alas, poor York, I knew him, Horatio. It's just all that. We, everybody knows the basics of Hamlet. And so, but I guess it's just like, every time you watch or I guess read Hamlet, it's just like, there are parts of it you forget because as we've seen, this is a very massive work. You can't really remember everything each time you go into it. So it, in some senses, it is kind of like a new experience or you, I guess it's not like you're seeing it for the first time each time, but it's always, you're always finding something new with Hamlet. Yeah, I guess that's my story with if Shakespeare and Hamlet and everything. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if I ever read Hamlet in high school, but I guess just knowing that I just knew that for I was just aware of Hamlet as, like, this play that Shakespeare wrote. And I think the plays I read 
uh, plays of his that I read in high school would have been um, Macbeth, mm-hmm. Macbeth, and um, Othello. I did read Macbeth. Uh, I don't think I've ever read Othello. Wait, maybe I have. I'm not sure. But I have seen the yeah. awful Olivier adaptation <laughs> of it. God, yeah. hate that movie. <laughs> I've heard things about it. I've it, heard things. Like I know you're gonna be, you're gonna end up watching it anyway because you're an Oscar. You're gonna, you're trying to be an Oscar completionist. But uh, otherwise, I tell you to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> uh, like not even like. Not even Maggie Smith and George Redman can save it. Uh, no, not nothing about it. I I despise it thoroughly. <laughs> I I do kind of I I enjoyed. Um, I forget who played Iago in that. Like I, I thought he was good, but no, nothing saving that. Nothing saving it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I also read a Midnight Summer Stream for Midsummer's um, Night Dream. Midsummer's Night's Dream. Um, Midsummer Night's Dream mm, for um, college. And I think I ended up rewatching the 1935 uh, film mm-hmm. after reading that. Um, that's a that's a very good adaptation. I really like that one. That has lots of great yeah, performances I do too. in it. James Cagney and Mickey. I, I enjoy Mickey Rooney performance. Hallelujah. What a miracle. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he and James Cagney and are both great. Yeah, yeah. Mickey Rooney's. I'm not sure what he's doing. I'm not sure. Quite, I'm not quite sure about him. But yeah, it is a suitably insane adaptation of Shakespeare. <laughs> I think Shakespeare's ad, Shakespeare adaptations are at their best when they're just like going insane. Just go mm-hmm. fucking insane. Yeah, like. Like this one, like this is just an insane yeah. movie. It it turns everything yeah. just up to eleven. It goes all yeah. fucking out with it. But yeah, it... yeah. And like that, like the scene, or I can't remember the name of who he murders, but um, <laughs> oh, the... is just like <laughs> dead by the dagger. Dead, <laughs> I'm slain. Yeah, it, it's just that should be like a meme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Shakespeare adaptations were, or Shakespeare in general is not known for its subtlety, even though people try to pretend it is subtle. And... Yeah, a lot of people are like, I know that, uh, uh, like a common opinion among some people is like, uh, Shakespeare is so boring and. So mm-hmm. hard to read. Everyone says, but it's just so boring. But yeah, it I it can be like hard to. It it definitely can be hard to get into, especially if you have like a bad English teacher run running you through the play, or if you have a bad adaptation that takes everything just so so seriously. But it's just like like the words are not too far from our own it's like there are some like uh let's call them flourishes that make it feel like yeah like yeah elizabethan uh but it it is largely the same language we are speaking now and it's just in the best adaptations of it uh 
well, let's start with the worst adaptations. Uh, they get so hung up on the language, and it's just like they act like they they talk like it. They are speaking some foreign language. It's like you find that with like um, with lots of Romeo and Juliet adaptations. I've found like the especially like the Baz Luhrmann one. I know a lot of people love that one, but to me, it's just like the actors in it, or most of them at least, uh, they just read it so like wooden and just like they're just reading it phonetically, it feels like. But in a great adaptation of a of a Shakespeare play, they really understand what the lines are saying and they put those emotions forward in their dialogue. So even if you do have a hard time of like parsing the language, like like you can still understand what they're saying through the emotional resonance of their of the way they're saying it. You okay. Yeah, definitely. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> uh, you Sorry. were positive. I didn't hear you, so I was just like wondering what's going on. Sorry, must have been muted. Um. Yeah. Um. I guess I wanted to shine more of a light on like the technical elements of this movie, like the costumes, like from at, they were designed by Alexandra Byrne, mm-hmm. who has collaborated a lot of times with Kenneth Branagh. And I love how she like draws upon this Victorian era and really goes the full mile to make them, to give them all these period accurate details and chooses colors to, uh, to signify like atmosphere and mood, like the way Hamlet is often dressed in all black, like mm-hmm. and this sort of like sword dual uh, attire that they are wearing, where like white tank tops and the black pants and the black boots, mm-hmm. and I think they even like have white gloves at some point. Yeah, it, the costume design in this is really great. That that's another one of its. Uh... Oscar nominations. Uh, yeah, Oscar nominations. Uh, that's what I was like it, it is a virtue. It is like I, everything in this movie is a virtue to it. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's one of the things it got an Oscar nom for, and um, yeah, it's so well deserved. And same with the uh, art direction. The that yeah, another Oscar nomination. The production it's design. Just so so good. Uh, it's, and like, there's just like. I think the Academy often gets criticized a lot for how it it doesn't treat its categories as like best costume design, best production design, best cinematography, but more as most costume design, most production design, most cinematography. And it's like, I get that criticism, but also like there is a lot of costumes in this and they're all really great. <laughs> there is a lot of sets in this and they're all really great. Yeah, true. It's just breathtaking the amount of detail that goes into this, into a film like this. Like the amount of care that goes into a movie like this. We often don't see that anymore. Like, I feel like at at a certain point, some film studios have forgotten the value of like 
just having a well-rounded production budget, even on something as simple as seemingly simple as like a romantic comedy, like the value of having, I don't know, Sven Nyquist shoot what shoot Sleepless in Seattle to give it a, like a glossy sheen. Not to get too off topic, but giving a film a distinctive look goes a long way in helping it stick to your mind. Mm-hmm. And I think more than many other Shakespeare adaptations, I think the castle here um, almost feels like a character in and of itself. And the various entrances and rooms feel like we're unpacking, like unlocking exactly it's just such an extravagant into its mind in its heart Mm -hmm. and there's the score from patrick doyle yes of course the the last oscar nomination that we have have, uh, before it got writing, art direction, costume design, and now original dramatic yeah. score, which was a category at that time. Yeah. They split it into two categories from 1995 to 1998. Mm-hmm. Which is just a weird decision because it was because uh, like a lot, like the Disney movies kept winning. Disney like, movies. Like Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and stuff. And the Academy was just like, whoa, hold on there. It's just like, and just like, we can't <laughs> let you have too much. Your animation, you're not real. So they just split it up. And then it it was just, it's just a bad decision. Although it did give us like one Some good thing. Some really came, fun nominations. Yeah. And also it gave us like the first two uh, female winners of Best Original Score uh, Rachel Portman for Emma and uh, Anne Dudley for The Full Monty, which, which is good. But it's also like, I don't think we, it, it's just like, it, it's a silver lining to a kind of stupid decision. I don't it. I think it gave, it gave us some fun nominees. It, it did. That we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Oh yeah, like uh, My Best Friend's Wedding and Patch Adams and, oh, Men in Black, <laughs> that got nomination. Should have won. Uh, let me check. Um, over Full Monty, Anastasia, she goes against Men in Black, My Best Friend's Wedding. Um, yeah, sure. Men in Black, go ahead. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't really care about this lineup. Yeah, I, and I love Danny Elfman. He should have won an Oscar by this point, but nope. So, yeah. Yeah, give him... Maybe she should have won both that year because he was also nominated in dramatic score for Goodwill Hunting, a loss to Titanic. Um, which, I wouldn't you know, take great. it away from Titanic. Yeah, I, James Horner has enough. Titanic has enough. Let let let, get, let Danny Elfman get two wins. Or although uh, Philip Glass for Cundon, that that's also really good. I love Philip Glass. I have anyway, not seen that movie, but we we're off topic. Yeah. But Patrick Doyle's score is just immaculate. Mm -hmm. And just looking in my my review I wrote months ago, um, he plays to the bombast like fanfare and sweets to the sweets. And 
he plays to the very tender moments and to the bombastic moments. And I don't remember the specific name of the number, but there's a part, certain part of the score that is the children's choir, and mm-hmm. or if you're uh, or if you're talking about the end credits, like some Italian opera singer. Um, I think that's a great moment. And again, the score just fits into this setting, like this Victorian, Victorian setting, and mm-hmm. it's just a great score. It is. It's just phenomenal. So something I'd, since we've been talking about its Oscar nomination, I think it'd be fun if we go through the four nominations Hamlet got and see what we think about like whether it should have won based on like the competition. So yeah, let's do that. Okay, so I got the nominees here. So we'll start with best adapted screenplay. Uh, so the fellow nominees were The Crucible, The English Patient, and Train Spotting, with the winner being Sling Blade. Uh, I haven't seen Sling Blade, but wait, I think I've only seen Hamlet, English Patient, and Train Spotting. So, going from those, I would go with. Um, I think I'd go with Train Spotting. Yeah, it it's not a great it lineup. <laughs> like the fact that Kenneth Branagh is even here in the first place for not changing, specifically because he didn't change Shakespeare is kind of a sign that that this is pretty light competition and it's just like i know some people like i know some people are fans of like the bird cage which got a writer's guild nomination oh yeah the, and bird cage got like snubbed so hard this year yeah. <laughs> but yeah uh i of so i've seen all of these except for the crucible and of those, I would also say train spotting because I truly despise the English Patient and Sling Blade. I hate both of those movies. <laughs> and Hamlet, like, yes, it's great. It's Hamlet, but it's also not adapted. <laughs> it's not an adapted yeah. screenplay. So I feel like just morally, I have to give it to train spotting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um... Next one best original dramatic score. Uh, so, along with Hamlet, we have Michael Collins, Shine, Sleepers, and the winner is English Patient. Well, I've seen English Patient and Hamlet, so I'm just going to go with Hamlet. Okay. Uh, so, I've I've seen all of those except for Michael Collins. So, I've, I do not... I've seen Sleepers just, like, once. Not, not even because it was an Oscar nominee, just because my mom told me to watch it. Like, I don't know why she told me to watch it. It's a fine movie, but okay. I have no memory of the score in that. I don't remember the score in Shine either. And I kind of remember the score in English Patient, but Hamlet easily outsells all of them, I feel like. Like, maybe if I go back and listen to a score from Sleepers, I'll be completely wowed and like, oh, this should have won. This is so good. I, I... John Williams need a, needs another fucking Oscar. But at, at this point, it's I'm just feeling Hamlet. <laughs> okay, next and one. And then... Uh, best Art Direction. So we've got... Oh, we've got a nomination for The Birdcage here. 
uh, also Evita in Romeo and Juliet. And the winner was English Patient, which was the big film of this year, clearly, and won Best Picture and a bunch of others. Yeah, I've only seen um, English Patient Hamlet again. I need to see more movies from 1996, so I'm just going to go with Hamlet. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I've I've actually seen all five of these, and and for once I don't really have anything negative to say about these nominations. Like even the films I don't like, English Patient, Romeo and Juliet, I think their art direction is really strong. But again, it's just like I feel like Hamlet is just so immaculate design that you can't deny that. Really, it's just so good. What I would <laughs> do is like, um, oh sorry, you go ahead. Uh, no, I was done. What I was gonna say is like, I did like look up, look up like Google images of like production design for these movies and to see to get a good idea of how they looked. And but just judging from what I've seen, uh, I think Hamlet makes the, the best use of its production design, mm -hmm. and again makes the palace a character in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like English patient, like I don't understand the widespread love for English patient. And I think it just, it won a bunch of these just because people love the English patient, not because, oh, considering these five nominees, I think the English patient is the best of them. Oh, but it's just like. It's definitely like, um, it's definitely, like the English patient is definitely, it's been a while since I've seen it, but the English patient is definitely like, the Oscar-friendly movie that the Academy really likes to reward, like this mm -hmm. big war romance epic, globe-trotting, the Casablanca formula to a T, mm -hmm. updated to, like, 1996. And every time I, I think of... Every time I think of ahead. The English Patient, I think of that episode of Seinfeld, where Elaine oh, yeah. is, yeah. like... Or everyone around Elaine Hates is it. just saying, like, oh, The English Patient, it... It's so good. It's so romantic. And she's just like, it stinks. And just like, and she, yeah. there's a scene of her in the theater and she's just like, just die already. Die. <laughs> and it's just, I yes, Elaine. So true. So true, Elaine. You speak to me. But yeah. yeah. Fuck um, the English patient. It's like the Casablanca formula, but it doesn't have a nearly as quotable script. We don't have a great line like, here's looking at you, kid, mm -hmm. or I think it's going to be like the start of a beautiful friendship. And the cinematography is nowhere near striking. Mm -hmm. The actors aren't like near I as said, good. <laughs> yeah, not nearly as charismatic mm -hmm. as Bogey and Bergman. Yeah. Anyway, the, the last Oscar category we have here, and let's see if you've seen any of these. Uh, so the other nominees are Angels and Insects, which I have not heard of before now. Uh, <laughs> Emma, the 96 one, of course. Uh, Portrait of a Lady. And English Patient has won this category again. Again, I've only seen English Patient and Hamlet, so I'm just going to go with Hamlet. I, I have not seen uh, Angels and Insects, nor have I seen Portrait of a Lady, but I've been interested in that one. Uh, but of these, well, Emma and really, eh, kind of English patient, but Emma does have some good costume design, but come on, Hamlet, easy. 
and I, I feel like we might be a bit biased in our discussion of these categories. J just a thought, <laughs> um, but I, I just don't understand how anyone could deny uh, those three categories at least. Well, I, I can understand uh, dis discrepancies on like score. Like I feel like those are some there are some good contenders in there, but art direction, costume design, like. God, it's so gorgeous. It's and it play the both of them play into the film just so well. And it's just like I don't understand how anyone couldn't vote for those if they had seen Hamlet. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, I guess going off of um, like discussion about Oscar nominations. Um, I guess we could parlay into how many would you have given it if okay. your an Oscar voter was a ballot? Okay, I, I'm just going to scroll through the categories and say the ones that I see that I feel like I deserve. So, best picture, best director, best actor for uh, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, I'm not sure if I would give anyone any other actors a nomination, but I feel like some of them are better than the ones that are nominated here. Like I, I definitely put in Julie Christie over Kristen Scott Thomas, an English patient, or uh, uh, Kate Winslet over someone like, oh wait, that Kate Winslet over Julia Benoche, who won that year, uh, or the, I, I'll preface I'll preface this by saying I generally hate Charlton Heston, but I think he's really good as the Player King, and I would probably put him in supporting actor over like, oh wait, this is a good lineup. Never mind. Uh, never mind about that one. Although I haven't seen Ghost of Mississippi and I hate James Woods, so maybe that one sucks and I can put Charlton Heston in over that. Um, so let's just go with three so far. Picture, director, and actor. Uh, I would not give it screenplay. <laughs> I think we've discussed that. Uh, score, definitely give it that. Um, let's see. Uh, maybe maybe I'd put it in for sound. I'm not sure. Uh, I I feel like the nominees here are pretty good. Uh, let, let's ignore sound. Uh, art direction definitely. Cinematography definitely. Costume design definitely. Makeup I think is pretty good, although it's not like I haven't like I said before I haven't seen Ghosts of Mississippi, but I have seen pictures of Ghosts of Mississippi, and I think the makeup work in there kind of sucks. So I'll put in a Hamlet over that. Um, film editing, definitely. And I think that... Oh, uh, costume design, definitely. And I think that comes out to 10. Which, yeah, 10 nominations for Hamlet. And I'm not sure how many wins I'd give it either, but probably a lot. Probably many of those I would give the win. Yeah, I feel like I need to see more movies from 1996, but mm -hmm. just in a vacuum, I'd probably give it picture... Best actor for Kenneth Branagh, best director for Kenneth Branagh, supporting actor for Jacoby, supporting actress for Winslet. Um, I could probably skip on adapted screenplay since it's just a text. Yeah. Um, cinematography definitely, art direction, costume design, maybe makeup, maybe sound. Depending, it depends on what I decide on from the other nominees. Mm -hmm. But I have seen Independence Day in Iraq, and Twister. Um, and then film editing um, and definitely original dramatic score. 
Okay, then. So, yeah. Just a great movie, and... Just a great um, movie, yeah. Yeah. And I haven't seen like something like Shine, but that does feel... At the same... At, simultaneously. Not surprising. It's like this Oscar bait formulaic biopic about some Australian pianist that... <laughs> I don't want to be too mean, but... How, how many people have heard of David Helfgott? Ah, uh, no. Uh, but I, I think Shine's pretty good. Like, it's not, like, great, but I I enjoy it for what it is. I think Jeffrey Rush is pretty good. I really love uh, Armin Mueller-Stahl as the dad. I think Armin Mueller-Stahl is just, like, an underrated actor in general, but he's really good in Shine. Uh, I would give him the win that year. Uh, may, I flip back and forth between him and Edward Norton, but both of them are great. Um uh, but yeah, it's just, it's a fine biopic. Like it's nothing, it's not groundbreaking or anything, but I think it's good for what it is. Mm. Yeah. Who knows what I'll say in a bit, but um, I guess, do we want to talk about um, how this compares to like Olivier's? adaptation sure let's talk about olivier's shitty adaptation um (laughs) so i clearly kind of hate that movie um i just think it's it's everything i complained about with uh shakespeare adaptations earlier how it's just so boring so self-serious it's it cuts out so much It, it and it's just it's just not good it's just nothing to me it and I hate Olivier's performance. I think he's just so bland. Uh, one thing, one thing I do like about it is I do enjoy um, the, I do enjoy the production design. I think it is a uh, well, uh, the set of it is really nice, and I, I forget the cinematography, but that's probably good too. Um, but it's just such a dull movie, and it's. It's oh, it's two and a half hours long, which is long for a movie, but short considering like the the play itself. And it it's just it's just so dull. I hate it. I don't like it. And why did it win Best Picture? I actually kind of I actually kind of enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I so I'm gonna just oh no worries. I, I understand like not liking it. Like it does feel much it does feel like a ser- like an over serious play adaptation, but somehow I feel like Olivier takes these makes these weaknesses an advantage. Like for some reason I just enjoyed watching this version unfold and I think the actors all did a pretty good job especially Olivier and Simmons and I love the way the palace looked the production design might I think might have been more to how it was originally envisioned in the um, in the original text where it's more gothic more if I want to draw a comparison to like holiday or I don't know if it's holiday, like 
more Halloween than Christmas, <laughs> I would say. It, it's a very Arbor Day. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, Arbor Day. <laughs> and Olivier's to be or not to be moment is very, it's very different from Branagh's version, or Branagh is facing inward into a hall of mirrors, mm-hmm. just absorbed in his own ego. Olivier is like staring down at a sea. And it almost made me wonder if he was just going to like jump. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, it's not, it's certainly not on the same level as Bronog's version, but I did enjoy it. And I thought it was an improvement over um, like Henry V, his Henry V, which I thought was a kind of a, like a colorful slog. Oh, we're, we're completely flipped on these. Uh, I, I really enjoy Henry V. <laughs> That's my favorite of his three uh, Shakespeare adaptations, the ones he directed, at least. Um, and I one, I just really love the directorial choice to, like, have it, have the whole movie kind of transform over time. Like, it starts out as a production in uh, the, the World's Theater, and then it goes into, like, this kind of, a storybook illuminated manuscript kind of like set design and then it becomes a whole like movie like a whole film adaptation and then it just kind of like recedes back into that world world stage kind of thing and it's so i just really love that choice i think it works really well and the movie like as a whole just like while watching it like i do kind of think it it, it does kind of get to a slog at times uh, but and like it's nowhere near as good as uh, Kenneth Branagh's Henry V which I adore that's another one of the one of my favorite Shakespeare adaptations ever ever uh, and he's also really good in that and Brian Blessed so fantastic in that anyway um, uh, for Olivier's Henry V um, I just I just really love that I, and it's so gorgeous too. It's so beautiful to look at. That the it really makes good use of the color. Um, but yeah, uh, I just enjoy it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I definitely understand the um, arguments for Hen- for Olivier's Henry the the Fifth. I haven't seen Bradog's version, but I have heard good things about it. I know he was nominated for actor and director. Um, I imagine that was like his breakthrough moment. Mm-hmm. That was his and, first movie. Yeah, and the Academy wanted to like congratulate him, so they nominated him for that. I do look forward to seeing that. Um, but yeah, I guess I can admire what um, Olivier was going for with Henry V and the way he framed things, but there's just not much rewatchability value for me with that one. But, yeah. Um, that was an interesting discussion. Um, so, I was wondering, since we're talking about, like, since this is a Christmas bonus, do you have any other... Um, so, what movies do you typically um, watch during Christmas? 
Like, what are some of your holiday favorites? What movies do I watch during Christmas? Um, well, uh, I definitely watch the, uh, you know, the Rankin Bass, uh, the stop motion Christmas specials. I I love of those, even though some of them are kind of like objectively terrible. Uh, but my favorite, my favorites of them are uh, Santa Claus is coming to town, or with Mickey Rooney as Santa Claus. I I'm having so much Mickey Rooney praise today. I don't like it. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. But my favorite one is um, the Little Drummer Boy. Uh, that one is just—it's such a beautiful short. It like it, it has its fun moments, but it—it's just—I just think it's really good. Uh, my other favorite Christmas movies—I'm uh, pulling out my list now, <laughs> uh, just so I don't forget. I know my favorite Christmas movie is actually a New Year's movie, which is The Apartment, but it also takes place at Christmas. Uh, so it's like it's just an and entire holiday season movie. Um, I also really love um, a Muppet Family Christmas, uh, which when most people think of Christmas and the Muppets, they think of a Muppet Christmas Carol, which, which you know, if if you know anything about me, which you would expect me to think that's the first thing for um, Muppets Christmas. But no, a Muppet Family Christmas. It's a TV movie from like 89, I think. It's so, so good. Oh, 87. Uh, but yeah, it's just amazing. It's the Muppets at their best. It's so sweet, so funny. The, the ending where they're just singing like a bunch of Christmas songs make, it makes me so emotional. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Tokyo Godfathers. Uh, that's another great one. It's uh, an anime movie by Satoshi Kon. Uh, it's about these three uh, homeless people on on Christmas Eve, I think it is. is and they have, they find this baby and they just need to like figure out what to do with it. And it's it's such a simple premise, but it just ends up being so full. And the characters are so amazing. Uh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah. Yeah, those are all good choices. Um, what about you? I'll admit, one of my favorites is Christmas Vacation, mm-hmm. which I I just love movies that just go just full insane on the comedy. And just go wild. And <laughs> I kind of have a soft spot um, for movies that put characters through like humorously torturous situations, mm-hmm. but they sort of <laughs> bounce back from that sort of easily. So you love Home Alone as well. And uh, it's been a while since I've seen Home Alone. Uh, um, come on, you gotta watch Home Alone. Yeah, watch I'll, it again I'll, this season. And yes, I'll watch it. Um, so, yeah, I just love Christmas Vacation. I love how I love Clark's little rant about <laughs> against his boss. I'm I'm not gonna like, like try and relay it because I don't because I know I'd butcher it, but <laughs> and Eddie played by Randy Quaid who. We know it's like this insane guy nowadays, but you know what? When I was a kid watching him, I thought he was just the coolest and just fun. Um, Randy Quaid has had such an interesting life and career. Like he started, yeah. he started out getting an Oscar nomination for the last detail, and things have just detail. been just been weird ever since. It's like he went from there to to like Christmas Vacation and Independence Day, and now he's a a genuine insane person. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah. And I also enjoy all. Um, what, what'd you say? I didn't hear that. Elf, Elf, Will. Ferrell oh, Elf, movie. the Will Ferrell. Movie. I I heard Elf, like the Alien cartoon, and I was very confused. Oh. So, or not a cartoon, but the um, sitcom. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's another great Christmas movie. I also enjoyed the classics like Road on Thirty Fourth Street, and mm-hmm. um, it's a Wonderful Life is obviously like a classic and staple of holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll admit there are some that I need to see, like oh I did see Scrooge like like in, in late November with Alastair Sim. Oh, okay. Have you seen that one? I I have seen that one. I, I guess you didn't know this about me, but uh, I've seen so many adaptations of a Christmas carol. I like it I I am known about this among my friends. I've seen like I think I'm I'm at over seventy at this point. Uh, yeah, I I don't know why, but I've just I've just tried to make it my mission to watch as many adaptations of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol as I possibly can. I've seen a lot of great ones. I've seen so so many awful ones, but it's it's my unending mission. Yeah. Um. Which ones haven't you seen yet? Uh, let, let me find my watch list because they're the ones I haven't seen are very very obscure. Uh, so like, uh, let me pull up my list. Uh, it's sorting by the letterbox film prop popularity. Um, I haven't seen uh, a Dennis the Menace Christmas from two thousand seven. Um, a Christmas Carol adaptation from last year, which. I know almost nothing about, but I it also has like Daniel Kaluuya and Carrie Mulligan, I think. And it's just like, I can't find it anywhere, but I want to watch it. Um, there's A Carol Christmas, which is, I think, like some Hallmark movie from 2003. Uh, My Dad is Scrooge, Ebby from 1995, Every Day is Christmas, Scrooge and Marley from 2012. It's just, there's a lot of random adaptations and it's just i'm i'm down in the depths of this christmas carol barrel and it is it is dark and dreary in here yeah that seems kind of wild yeah Uh, would you like to hear my favorite adaptations sure yeah okay Uh, let me just quickly pull up my list uh, but my favorite one is um, A Muppet's Christmas Carol, which I mentioned earlier, but it it truly is just the best adaptation. Um, it It is somehow able to not only like just perfectly adapt the source material in a way that like it keeps a lot of the it keeps a lot of what makes a Christmas Carol a Christmas Carol. It keeps a lot of the plot points but it does adapt it cinematically and it also is somehow able to do that while also incorporating the Muppets and it incorporates them so well it makes it feel like there has never been a version without the Muppets and it's just like it's so funny too of course because the Muppets are amazing and this is the Muppets perhaps at their best 
Uh, it's arguable, like what the best Muppets movie is, but this is certainly a top contender for it. Um, but yeah, Muppets Christmas Carol, easily like the best one. Uh, my number two is this obscure short film from the 70s called The Energy Carol, uh, which is really uh, a 10 minute PSA about like wasting energy and whatever. But somehow the turn, the, it's made by the uh, National Film Board of Canada, which is one of the one of my favorite, uh, pr- I guess, production companies, even though it's a government wing. It's a wing of the Canadian government. Uh, but they make a lot of great films and the energy Carol is you shouldn't, this should not be a good, a great movie or a great short film, but it really is. It's just a very cute, very fun little uh, adaptation that also tries to get you to care about the environment. Uh, and I watched that one this year and it, it, it's really good. I, I think it is at least uh, my number three is, kind of controversial it's uh the jim carrey uh uh, motion capture adaptation uh directed by robert zemeckis and it's like a lot of people kind of like rag on that adaptation and i don't really get why oh i kind of get why i think it's because of it's because of the the mocap uh animation can be a motion capture motion capture yeah uh that can be a bit jarring for people but for me like i I find it easy to get into it. I, and I, I, one, I really like the directorial choice to have uh, Jim Carrey play so many of the characters and he does it really well. Um, and two, it is just such a great adaptation. Like it does, like it, it is probably one of the most complete adaptations of A Christmas Carol. Like it includes pretty much everything. Uh, and it, it does it so well too. I just think it, and it captures, one of the things that I think is really missing from a lot of Christmas Carol adaptations is the is the darkness of that source material. Like it is a kind of really depressing, kind of scary story. Like it, it's got ghosts and Scrooge is kind of terrified throughout the whole thing. And it's like a lot of adaptations fail to capture that because I, what this mainly is, I think, is that it's Christmas time. You don't want to be scared. You want to be feeling like in the christmas spirit and stuff you want to be happy feel the joy and whatever but that's not what christmas carol is so adapting a christmas carol without that kind of scarier element is uh, often a misstep uh and in, in my eyes at least and there are only a few that i think really truly capture that there's this the jim carrey robert zemeckis christmas carol there's Scrooge from 1930, uh, 1935, uh, which is also my fourth favorite adaptation. Uh, and there's also the Patrick Stewart version of Christmas Carol from 1999, which used to be my favorite, but on a rewatch, it kind of dropped down a bit, but I still really love it. It really, it, I think that one more than anything else really does capture the kind of horror of the story in, in like a good way. There are other adaptations like, um, there was a mini series adaptation a couple years ago with Guy Pierce, and that really tries to turn it into a horror story, but it does it in just the weirdest ways, and it's awful. Well, not awful. I, I like parts of it, but it it doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
so yeah, I rambled long enough. I'll, let's just round up the top five. So number four, I said was Scrooge 1935. And number five, I have Scrooged, the Bill Murray film, Bill Murray comedy, uh, which I think is just a great, great, one. a great, great uh, updating of the story. A great, like setting into modern days. And it it changes the ghosts too. Like it, I absolutely love Carol Kane as the ghost of Christmas present. And she is so hilarious. And like Bill Murray is great. Alfred Woodard's great. Uh, Karen Black, not Karen Black, Karen Allen. She's great. It's just so funny. So good all around. Just love it. Yeah. That. Yeah. Those, those I, all. Yeah. yeah. That's I've seen lot, too many. I've seen too I'm many. Inspired. Uh, I'm inspired. Do not do this. I I okay. I cannot stress I enough. Do not go down this rabbit hole. Just <laughs> if if I the stick what I've the most learned, well known ones. What, yeah, exactly. What I've learned from this is just stick with the with the ones that are well known. Like if if it's famous, you're good to go. And it's just like maybe not all of them are going to be like the best ones, but it's better than trying to search through the dregs and the awful, awful depths that this these can go. Like, I, you have not seen an American Carol or all American Christmas Carol or Silent Night, Deadly Night, A New Christmas Carol, and I pray to God no one ever has to see those movies. They. They are some of the worst experiences of my life. Like my, I have a list of like the 50 worst films I've ever seen. And four of them are Christmas Carol adaptations. That is how bad this series, these adaptations get. It, it is, uh, it's awful. I hate, I hate these movies, but I can't stop watching them. Yeah. It's like a vice that you can't quite fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, so yeah. Just just stick to the famous ones. There are some yeah. hidden gems in there, but it is not worth the search. Just stick with the famous ones. Yeah. Um, I was just gonna mention that there are some others that I forgot I had seen, like, uh, like a Christmas Story, nineteen eighty three, mm-hmm. and then uh, the Polar Express was one I often watched. Polar Express um, is so fun. Like, I love that one. Yeah, yeah, it's so fun. And Tom Hanks is playing like half the characters, and so it ends yeah. up being like <laughs> Tom Hanks teach Tom teaches Tom Hanks to learn about Christmas, and like Tom Hanks teach <laughs> takes Tom Hanks Tom Hanks to see Tom Hanks, and it's just it it's great. It's fun. It's the I, Tom Hanks show. Yeah. Hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. <laughs> we got. <laughs> Oh God, I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. So, anything else you so, in the mood to talk about? Yeah. Um, I guess we could just briefly discuss what twenty twenty one movies we've seen. Um, just before we wrap this up. Um, oh boy, twenty twenty one. John Oz. Just quickly, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this, but okay, I, I just I'm want just... to. I'm going to use a spot to plug my favorite movie of 2021, which is The Humans. It It is so good. It is currently streaming on Showtime, or you can watch it illegally if you don't have Showtime. I don't care. Just please watch The Humans. Uh, uh, it, I watch most of my movies illegally, so... It has Richard Jenkins, 
Stephen Yun, Beanie Feldstein, uh, June Squibb, Amy Schumer, who is surprisingly great, uh, and Jane Howdyshell, who's a theater actress and who was in the Broadway version of this play and won a Tony for it and is now back in the movie version. And she's so great. The entire cast is so great. This, this writing is so fucking good. It's like, like uh, the Writers Guild just released their best scripts of the 21st century or whatever. And this is one of, and they didn't put this on their list, but they should have because it's one of the best scripts I've ever seen in a movie. And the director is the person who wrote the play, which shouldn't really come out so good, but Jesus fucking Christ, Stephen Karam is so fucking good. It's like he's been directing movies his whole life. I don't understand why it's so good, but it's just so fucking good. And if you care about movies at all, you need to fucking see the humans. Jesus Christ, see the humans, please. Um, that's, that's all I have to say. Take his word for it. Um, <laughs> folks listening to this, take his word for it. Go see the humans. I know I need to as well, but I just want to mention like 2021 movies because Ron latest movie is among this pack, Belfast. Yes, um, awful movie. Don't see Belfast. <laughs> I fucking I think hate it. Oh, I think it's kind of sweet. I, I, it's not subtle by any means, but. Belfast is one of those movies where it's like you go into it and if you do not think about it at all it is fine it is just like a generic Oscar bait kind of movie it it can just leave your mind if you let it but if you even dare to think about the movie and what it's doing and how it structures itself it just completely falls apart I despise it. it it's just a bad bad movie and I the more awards attention it gets, the more I hate it because it does not deserve it at all. Yet people are being tricked by this. You are being tricked by it, Gabe. You need <laughs> to fight back against Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I just, um, I, I saw that. It's just gotten worse and worse. And Yeah, I, I kind of get it. But I don't know. But some other movies I wanted to mention, like obviously Power of the Dog, is fantastic. I'm seeing that in theaters uh, this weekend, so I I haven't I don't have thoughts on it yet, but I I feel like I'm gonna don't love spoil it for you because everyone else seems to love it, and I I feel like it's gonna be probably my favorite movie or one of my favorite movies. But I have to wait and see. Have... Yeah. And then there's the Green Knight and Great. Ah, need to pull up my list. Somehow these movies, the, like the titles, escape from my mind. Oh, yeah, Pig, it, or the Nicolas like... Cage movie. That's fine. I I like the Pig, or I liked Pig, uh, but the best part of it is the titular Pig. I, it's such a cute Pig. Yeah, I think this is Nicolas Cage's best performance in years, and. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about Last Night Soho? It, I like that movie, but... It's... I I did end up liking it, but I acknowledge it's a very, very messy movie, but I just think it's like... uh, In in certain scenes, it, it is so great, but it just doesn't totally come together. But, like, the strength of those specific scenes are just so good. It's just like, I... 
I wish it was better, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I, I found it better than some of its parts, ultimately. Um, and other movies like The Heart of Day Fall, which is just a great revisionist Western. I really need to see by, that. I've been wanting to see that. Directed by this British musician. And it's just so much fun. And I might even prefer to Django Unchained, if I'm being honest. I oh, am, yeah, probably. It, it, it seems better than <laughs> Django Unchained. Like, I, I like Django Unchained, but it's not like one of my favorite movies. It's... And then there's uh, Spencer, which is just a great showcase for Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. And then Tick Tick Boom. What, what, which did, is what did you experience. think of Tick Tick Boom? I loved it. Like, okay. I felt like I was seeing myself in that character at certain points. I'll, admit. I, I'll refrain from speaking on it because I already shot on Belfast. I don't need to shit on Tick Tick Boom too. Uh, oh. <laughs> I, oh yeah, uh, yeah. I understand it could it could be a turn off, like the energy it's sending. It's just like it. On the one hand, it Tick Tick Boom feels like it should be perfect for me as a person who like really loves musical theater and also really loves Stephen Sondheim. He he rest in peace. Um. But, God, I I hate Lin-Manuel Miranda with a passion. I hate Jonathan <laughs> Larson with a passion. Uh, the guy who wrote the screenplay adaptation uh, also wrote <laughs> Dear Evan Hansen, which oh. I hate. Uh, so things are not coming together for me. <laughs> See, God. Uh. It... And Andrew Garfield, um, I usually of, like, but I, he's he's fine in the movie. I I don't understand the love for him. Like he's like I, I don't know. I just don't like the movie. I'm sorry. It, th- this award season's going to be rough for me because Tick Tick Boom and Belfast are shaping up to be like pretty major contenders. And also Coda, I also really hated, and that's also a kind of big contender. Like. Maybe not as. Oh, I love they... Coda. <laughs> exactly. Oh God, <laughs> I'm just. I I'm not in for a good season. Uh, let's just hope that like, and my favorite movies of the year, The Humans and Passing, uh, those were kind of awards contenders at one point, but aren't really shaping out to be. Like, I know Passing. Uh, that's getting. That seems to be a pretty good spot for uh, Ruth Nega, but the rest of the film uh, doesn't seem to be shaping out yeah. awards buzz. Passing which deserves it really all. Should. God. Yeah, Tessa Thompson is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, and such a good. The movie. black and white cinematography, like oh yeah, so, so divine. Uh, and yeah, God, if Belfast gets in over that in cinematography, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> Jesus. I... At this rate, we're going to break... At this rate, if we keep getting more and more black and white movies, we'll have to break back, like, <laughs> splitting the category this... into two. <laughs> uh, it's probably just an anomaly. There's a lot of people who don't like black and white movies. Oh, and speaking of black and white movies, come on, come on. That's a really great movie. Uh... I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard great things about it, and mm-hmm. I'm so excited to see it. it. I'm also so excited good. to see Licorice Pizza. Um... Oh, yeah. I, I've been dying to see Licorice Pizza. 
I, I, if I were in charge, so I would have titled it "Soggy Bottom in the Licorice Pizza." <laughs> God, uh... Yeah, this yeah. lineup is. Yeah, so that's twenty twenty one. Oh, there's also in the Heights. Um, I know we, we might disagree on this, but I love that movie. I, I don't hate it, but I don't like it either. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's just let's wrap this up. We yeah. we're, we're going to yeah. start fighting if we keep going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's wrap this up. Um, so. If that's it for us then um so yeah this was a so i don't even know how to end this but don't you have a, this is such a end this... role like for you oh no um but anyways this was a great discussion zach jackson i'm glad to have you back on again thanks for everything thank you for inviting me so how do we find you uh, on like social media and stuff? Uh, my at on Twitter is uh, J A C D E S Williams with an S at the end. Um, it's the same thing on Letterboxd. I, I don't really have anything professional online, so it's just my personal stuff. There you go. So um, you can find the Alternate Oscars podcast. Um, account on Twitter at Alternate Oscars and also on Patreon. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Gabe the Joker. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at my name, Gabe Warren. You can find me on Letterboxd at Mr. Fulo. And currently I'm writing a review for the 1961 version of a West Side Story, so stay tuned for that. Um, I'm running it for Keith Loves Movies, so be sure to check out my reviews on that site as well as those of my colleagues. Um, and also, uh, I have the 1949 episode coming up. I know that uh, we've been due for that episode for a while, but I have plans for that, so just stay tuned for that. And of course, be sure to rate and review this podcast for visibility's sake and subscribe for, through whatever server you use. And until the next episode, sit back and relax, cheers and enjoy, and thank you for listening to the alternate Oscars.